Hi, and welcome to the Little Ferraro Kitchen Food Show. I am Samantha with the Little Ferraro Kitchen. I'm a food blogger, a cookbook author, and a cooking instructor. On this show, we'll be talking all about weeknight cooking, recipes, fun ingredients. Basically, if you love cooking and love talking about food, this is the place to be. Welcome back to the Little Ferraro Kitchen Cooking Show. My name is Samantha Ferraro, your host. And if you love cooking and love talking about food as much as I do, you are in the right place. So don't go anywhere because this week's episode is going to be a very delicious one. Before we jump into this week's topic, I always like to share what we've been cooking in our kitchen over the last week. And this season is such a delicious one. Everything is in season right now. The colors are so beautiful. And one of the things that we made this week was a fig and speck pizza. Figs have a short window. And when you can find really delicious, juicy figs, grab them because we only get them once a year and take full advantage. I'll be honest, when it comes to figs, if you get like a really nice juicy one, there is not much you need to do with it. And I usually just eat them as whole because they're just so delicious. They're really sweet and they're just like begging to be eaten. But sometimes I like to have a little fun and variety with figs. And we made a fig and speck pizza last week. And it was so much fun because usually we are traditionalists when it comes to pizza. I do marinara, some mozzarella, fresh basil. Sometimes we'll do some pepperoni or some chilies like Calabrian chilies or uh, Italian sausage, you know, just really classic Italian savory flavors. But I was really craving something different and I had these beautiful figs. So what I did was I did a really simple pizza with figs, some mozzarella, some taleggio, which is a soft Italian cheese that melts really well, and some speck. Now, speck is very similar to prosciutto. It's the same cut, the same meat. It's a cured pork. But instead of it being cured only, just like how prosciutto is, speck is smoked. So if you like smoked and like that extra layer of flavor, definitely seek it out. You can find it you know, I'm really at most grocery stores where the prosciutto is. So what I did was after I rolled out my dough, I took some pieces of mozzarella, some pieces of taleggio cheese, spread that on the dough. Then I took some pieces of fig. So I just took a fig, I sliced it, or if they're small ones, you can cut them in half or into quarters, put that right on the dough. And then I took uh, thin slices of speck, or if you have prosciutto, put that on there as well, because I like it where the speck or prosciutto is nice and crispy. Sometimes I've seen fig and prosciutto pizzas where they leave the prosciutto on afterwards, so it's not cooked and not crispy. And that's fine too. But once it's really crispy, it's so lovely because it's salty and savory and the fat renders and it's like a crispy, porky, salty, umami potato chip, (laughs) but it's pork. Pop that in your oven, super, super hot heat, like 500 at least, as high as you can get it. Leave it in there until it's nice and bubbly. And then when it comes out, this is kind of the fun part. Olive oil, balsamic vinegar right on the pizza. And if you have some arugula, put some arugula right on the pizza while it's warm. And as the arugula sits and settles on the pizza, the warmth of the pizza will slowly and gently wilt the greens. And it's just so lovely. 
And if you want to take it up a notch and you have some fresh Parmesan or Pecorino, grate some of that right onto the arugula as well. And everything will just slowly melt and slowly um, wilt the cheese and the greens. And the combination between the mozzarella and the taleggio and the sweet figs and that balsamic and the olive oil and that salty pork prosciutto or speck and the bright greens on top is such a fantastic combination. We absolutely fell in love with it. It was definitely different, a little outside our comfort zone. But if you have figs, which is now, now's the time to grab some figs. Highly recommend putting some on your pizza. You will absolutely love it. Another favorite recipe that we made this week was kind of an old recipe that I wanted to revamp. So one of the breads that I grew up on is challah bread. You may have heard of it. It's a very traditional Jewish bread, but you often see it at all sorts of bakeries and the bakery department of grocery stores. And it's a braided yeasted egg bread. It's very eggy and light and it's not well it's kind of similar to a brioche but not as buttery but still has that lovely pillowy you know flavor that brioche has and challah bread is fantastic as french toast so what i did was i kind of kicked it up a notch again and i made a classic french toast so i made a cream mixture and i put a little sugar in there a little cinnamon a little vanilla sometimes i'll put in a little orange zest if i feel like it But this time, instead of making just a classic French toast, I cut the bread into extra thick slices, and then I cut a small slit right in the middle of the bread, so it created a pocket that I can fill. And I had some leftover banana that was kind of soft, and it was perfect to mush. (laughs) So I took my fork, I mushed this banana, I scooped it up, and I put it in that little pocket of the challah bread. And it stayed pretty well because it didn't seep out. The pocket was deep enough and the bread slice was thick enough as well. So it was able to hold any kind of, um, well, really any kind of filling. Also, I was thinking some Nutella in that would be so delicious. I just thought about that or even peanut butter. That sounds really good. So then um, once that was stuffed, I took the bread and I just dredged it just like I would with French toast put it in a nonstick skillet with some butter and pan fried it on both sides. And then I topped it with a warm maple syrup. Now this is the easiest thing you can do to really kick it up another notch. Take some maple syrup, put it in a small pot or small skillet. And then if you have any frozen fruit or fresh fruit, such as strawberries or blackberries or raspberries, put that into the maple syrup. If you have a cinnamon stick, put that in there as well. If you have uh, a strip of an orange, I take a vegetable peeler and I just take a nice thin strip of orange peel, put that right in. And as you're making your French toast, let that warm syrup come up to temperature and let all those beautiful aromatics steep in that syrup. And when your French toast is done, you have this gorgeous infused aromatic maple syrup and you pour that over your French toast and then you cut into it and this banana comes out and it is such a fantastic combination. I hope you make it. I will include a recipe in a link, but really it's one of those recipes. It's not really a recipe. (laughs) So have fun with the fillings, have fun with that custard, add things that you have at home have some Nutella or peanut butter or banana or all the above. Let me know how it goes if you do make it because it's one of those recipes that we all need to have in our back pocket. Super delicious, super impressive, and so easy. 
Now on to this week's topic. We have been having so much fun at the farmer's market. If you are in Bellingham and you have been to the Saturday farmer's market, it is the place to be on Saturday mornings. It is hopping. The produce is beautiful. The energy is alive and it's such a fun event to go to. Every week we have been planning our meals and our produce around going to the market on Saturday mornings. And I wanted to share some of the things that we got and what I'm planning to do with some of the produce items that we found. This will certainly be more focused on local farmers. So if you are outside of Bellingham, I'm sorry, just enjoy the recipe chat. But if you are in Bellingham and you happen to pop in the market, please visit these farmers because their produce is absolutely beautiful. So there's one farmer I always, I always gravitate towards because as soon as I walk by, I am just instantly caught with his beautiful cauliflower. And uh, his farm is called Dragon Earth Farm. And we chat for a little bit. He doesn't have any social media, but he's always there. And every time I walk by, I see these beautiful pops of purple and orange. And he grows the most beautiful cauliflower you have ever seen. It is deep, dark, vibrant. It's so beautiful. And just this last Saturday, I bought two smaller heads of cauliflower, one beautiful deep purple cauliflower and another orange one. And I have an idea to roast it whole in our outdoor pizza oven. Normally I take cauliflower, I cut it into florets and I season it and do different things with it. But this cauliflower was definitely smaller than the usual ones we're used to. And it was just so beautiful and vibrant. I almost didn't even want (laughs) to eat it because it looked like a bouquet. It was just the most beautiful cauliflower I've ever seen. So my plan is to roast it whole. I think I'm going to season the cauliflower like I would if they were smaller florets. So lots of salt and pepper, a good massage of olive oil. I might add some of my favorite Mediterranean spices such as some turmeric or some za'atar or sumac, but I'm not sure because I feel like the turmeric might change the color of that purple cauliflower, so I might not do that. And I want to roast it in our outdoor oven, which has um, a wood oven, so I'm able to put some oak wood in there to give it even more flavor. And I'm thinking about roasting it about 400, 425 degrees until there's like a, a nice gentle char on the outside. And then when that comes out, I have a few ideas of either making a really flavorful herby tahini sauce, which I think would be beautiful visually, or make some kind of chimichurri sauce or romesco sauce just to give some brightness and color. So stop by his stand at the market. You will be blown away with his beautiful cauliflower. Another stand I always seem to gravitate towards is Sunseed Farm. And if you walk by, you are just instantly smacked with the most beautiful, huge heirloom tomatoes you've ever seen in your life. They are deep red and deep orange. They're plump. They're smooth. It is just the most beautiful tomatoes. And if you know me, you know how much I love tomatoes. So I always want to buy a few tomatoes. And what I did just recently is I made a really simple tomato tart on some puff pastry. I may have chatted about this before, but uh, this is one of those easy recipes where if you want to showcase really good ingredients, grab that puff pastry and just top it with these beautiful ingredients. So what I did was I had some puff pastry that I always keep in the freezer. I let that thaw out and you can do that on the counter for about a half hour at room temperature or you can put it in the fridge overnight. 
And then I roll it out just a little bit just to kind of thin out that pastry because it can puff up and get thick. And the next thing you want to do is you want to pre-bake the crust. So I take a fork and I dock it in the middle. And what that means is you're taking the prongs of your fork and you're just kind of pushing some holes on the middle of the pastry. And that helps the pastry not puff up so much. And we want to pre-bake it because we're using these juicy tomatoes that have a lot of water. So we need to give the pastry a head start so it doesn't get too soggy with those juicy tomatoes. So once you bake that puff pastry at about 400, 425 degrees Fahrenheit for about 10 minutes, take it out, let it cool down a little bit. And while that's baking, you're going to cut your tomatoes and you're going to put them onto a paper towel lined plate. I cut them into about half inch, quarter inch slices. And because again, they're so juicy, we need to kind of take some of that juice away. So I take some kosher salt, sprinkle some salt over the tomatoes, let that sit for a few minutes, take some paper towels, maybe give them a little blot just to kind of take out that excess moisture. And then now we're ready. So your puff pastry is ready, your tomatoes are ready. And in between the puff pastry and the tomatoes, you have a few options. You can put some cheese on there, some mozzarella or some Parmesan cheese. I also have done it where I spread it some mascarpone cheese, Uh, even creme fraiche, anything that you have, if you want to give like a little glue, put that onto the pastry. Once that's done, take your tomatoes, your slices of tomatoes, and just pile them on top of the pastry. You can also nestle in some more slices of mozzarella if you want, and you can also season it with some more salt and pepper, or if you have some fresh herbs, such as fresh oregano or some fresh thyme, that would be really nice. Sprinkle that right on top of the tomatoes, pop everything back into the oven, and cook it for another 15 minutes just until the pastry is nice and golden brown and the tomatoes have started to soften and caramelize a little bit. And once your tomato tart is done, you can put some more fresh herbs on top, such as some fresh basil. And really, that's it. Sometimes I even do another drizzle of olive oil or a drizzle of balsamic vinegar right at the end. And that's it. And it's such a beautiful, simple way to showcase really good in-season tomatoes. We're not covering it up. We're just letting those beautiful tomatoes condense even further and just shine their beautiful sweetness. So stop by Sunseed Farms if you're at the Bellingham Farmer's Market. Look at their beautiful tomatoes. I'm telling you, they're just so beautiful. Now, when you're at the market right next to Sunseed Farm is Mariposa Farm. And I always gravitate over there as well because they have such a wide selection of produce and everything is always so beautiful and so fresh. A few weeks ago, we got some really nice um, hefty bunches of fresh dill and parsley and they have always lasted at least a week. And it's just so remarkable how fresh and long lasting everything is and And because they have such a big variety of produce, some weeks we get some lettuce and some weeks we get fennel and we just kind of change it up as we see what they have. But this last week, we saw some beautiful eggplant. They looked like globe eggplant, which is that more traditional eggplant that we see in the grocery stores. But this eggplant was so beautiful. And this is also another tip when you're looking for um, really good eggplant. 
Look for a nice shiny skin or a nice shiny peel when you're looking for eggplant. And there shouldn't be any blemishes or any nooks or crannies in it. It should be nice and smooth and almost look like you know, really shiny leather or pleather. That's like a really nice eggplant. So uh, Mary Posa Farms had beautiful eggplants. And I also opted to get some of the smaller ones because the smaller ones will have less seeds than the larger ones. And seeds are fine, but sometimes when you get a really seedy eggplant, it can be a little bit more bitter. So if you can find a smaller eggplant and younger eggplant, find that because it will be sweeter and less bitter. So with the smaller eggplant, I have this idea to simply fry it up with some garlic. Because the smaller ones are a lot more tender and sweeter than the bigger ones, I really want to enjoy and taste the eggplant. So what I'm thinking about is just slicing it into rounds about half inch thick and then seasoning it with salt, pepper, maybe a little garlic. Fry it up in some olive oil, maybe add some Calabrian chilies, which are nice and spicy, maybe some more fresh garlic. And I wanted to do the same thing with those heirloom tomatoes. So just kind of fry everything up in some olive oil, simply season it with some salt and pepper and garlic, and maybe top it with some fresh basil or fresh thyme and just keep it simple. Another idea is a favorite pasta dish that I may have chatted about before. It's called pasta al norma, and it's a really simple pasta dish of cooked pasta, usually penne or penne regate or some kind of tube pasta. And then you cook it up, you fry up some tomatoes and some cubes of eggplants with some garlic and olive oil, and then you add some dollops of ricotta cheese, and that's it. And it's just really nice and creamy and simple. But uh, if you really want to showcase eggplants, that's a great recipe to try. And of course, another favorite eggplant recipe that I have to make, I might have to make this with this eggplant because it's one of my favorites, is eggplant parmesan. Here's the thing. Eggplant parmesan takes some work. You're frying eggplant, you're breading it, you're adding sauce, you're layering it. It's a lot of work, but it's worth it. And people ask me all the time, oh, can you bake the eggplants? I don't want to fry it, less oil. Yes, you can. You can totally bake it. I prefer frying it. There's nothing like fried eggplant, in, uh, especially in an eggplant parmesan. But I'll tell you what I do, and I'll give you a, an option to bake it. To make a classic eggplant parmesan, at least the one that I make, it, it takes some work, but it's, it's worth it. What I like to do is I take the eggplant, I peel it because the peel and the flesh cook at different times. And I feel like when you are binding into eggplant parmesan, you don't want to kind of, you know, pick out that peel of the eggplant. So peel the eggplant, cut it into slices about half inch thick, lay it on a big baking sheet and give it a good sprinkle of salt. The same thing like we were chatting about with the tomatoes for the tart. We want to draw out some of that moisture from the eggplant. Leave that eggplant for a good 20 minutes. And then when that's done, take some paper towels, give it a nice blot just to take off some of that excess moisture and salt. From there, you need to make a dredging station. So a dredging station is three different parts. There's flour. Usually I do a seasoned flour, which means I will season the flour with some salt and pepper, sometimes paprika, sometimes some garlic, just to give it some more flavor. You have another bowl with some whisked eggs and another one with some breadcrumbs. And I like to use a panko breadcrumb, and I also season that as well. I add some dried herbs, maybe some garlic, and leave that alone. So now you have three different bowls with three different items. 
and then you have your frying pan that's heating up with some oil. Take your eggplant, you dip it in the flour, then the egg, and then the breadcrumb, and then you fry it on both sides. And I'm assuming you might have a good amount of sliced eggplant, so you'll have to do this in batches. Once that's done, put your cooked fried eggplant uh, on a wire baking sheet because what that does is it helps drain any excess oil. And then just like anything you're frying, as soon as that's done, season the fried eggplant with just a little bit more salt. It won't be too salty, I promise. Once that is done, now you have to layer your eggplant. So I kind of like to do it almost like a lasagna style. Some people do it differently, but this is how I like to do it. So I take some marinara. Well, first I get a nice big casserole dish. I take some marinara and I spread it on the bottom. Then I layer a few slices of the fried eggplant. I put some more marinara, then some more mozzarella cheese, like slices of mozzarella cheese. And then I just repeat that until all my ingredients are done. Then I take everything, I put some tin foil over it, pop it in the oven about, I would say 350, 400 degrees Fahrenheit, and let everything cook until the cheese melts and everything comes together. That takes about, I would say about good 20, maybe 30 minutes. Take it out of the oven, you're done, but it's also going to be very hot, so you have to leave it alone. Do not cut into it, I would say for at least 20 minutes. And then from there, you have some fantastic (laughs) eggplant parmesan. It's worth it. There's a lot of little steps, but it's absolutely worth it. I will include a link, of course, in the show notes because it's eggplant parmesan. Now, if you want to make a baked eggplant, I would do almost the same thing that I would do for the fried eggplant. So I would take my eggplant, I would salt it, draw out some of that moisture, plot it dry. I would do the same dredging and then I would put it on a baking sheet. And if you have a wire rack also that goes on the baking sheet, I would put the eggplant on that just to give everything some more heat circulation. Pop it in the oven, uh, I would say about 400, 425 degrees. Uh, In about 10, 15 minutes, flip it halfway. Continue cooking it for another 10 minutes until the eggplant is done and then continue layering the eggplant parmesan just like you would with the fried one. Casserole dish, marinara, the baked eggplant, mozzarella cheese, so on, so on, so on. And I think it's delicious. I've done it before. It's not my favorite because, again, there's nothing like fried eggplant, but it really gives you that nice crispiness from the coating and the eggplant is tender, and it's a really delicious way to go. And the last produce item I want to chat about is some beautiful golden beets. I also got these at Mariposa Farm, and they are absolutely gorgeous. The beets were huge. The greens were beautiful. And what I love so much about buying whole beets with the greens on is that you get two vegetables in one. You can take the beets, you can roast them for a variety of things. Salads mostly is what I do it for. And you can use the greens just like you would any other greens. So I wash the big greens really well, but you can also saute them and add them to anything just like you would spinach or kale. So next time you buy some beets, keep the greens and use them for sautés or to stuff them in soups or pastas. It's really delicious and they wilt down just like spinach and I really, really like it. One of my favorite recipes to make with beets is uh, a beet soup. So, well, this is kind of funny. I grew up eating borscht. My mom would make borscht, you know, that classic 
um, well, actually, it's, it's really from everywhere, different parts of Europe, but it's this red beet soup. And depending who makes it or where it's from, sometimes there's sour cream added to it. And it would turn this soup, you know, you know, bright pink. <laughs> and I remember when I was little, my mom would make me eat this. And I said, no, I don't like this. I don't like beets. And now I love beets. Anyway, ever since then, I made my version of beet soup a little bit more modern and updated. And what I do is I take some roasted beets, or you can just um, boil them in your stock, and then I add some really bright flavors. I add some turmeric, some fresh ginger, some garlic. And what I do with the beet greens is, to give it a little bit more of a contrast and texture, I take the beet greens and I gently fry them in some olive oil. Remember when kale chips were all the rage? And they might still be, but they were all the rage a few years ago. And there were these crispy, you know, yummy green leaves. Well, you can do the same thing with beet greens. So what I like to do is I take a nice dry beet green. I put in some oil just to kind of get it nice and crispy. I fry it for maybe 30 seconds per side. And then I take this lovely beet green chip and I garnish my beet soup with it. And it's just such a lovely combination of textures and flavors. The colors are striking. So the next time you get some beets, try making something different, maybe a beet soup, a modern borscht, and keep those beet greens because they are really delicious. I hope some of these recipes give you some inspiration to try something new in the kitchen this week. If you are in Bellingham, come to the farmer's market. I hope to see you there and I would love to know what you are making with your beautiful in-season produce. As always, you can find all my recipes on my website at littleferrarokitchen.com and you can find me all over social media on Instagram at Ferraro Kitchen and on Facebook at The Little Ferraro Kitchen. And if you're on TikTok, find me at Ferraro Kitchen as well. Until next time, happy cooking and I will see you in the kitchen next time.